And I was a teacher for three months. I did the the English teaching yeah. in Japan, and um, man, that was rough. I had <laughs> so I did like a uh, path for it where I think you get paid maybe like one whole dollar extra an hour to teach like a kid's class and by kids it would be like you can teach individuals or up to like four people per lesson Mm -hmm. um at different levels like they had different levels you know five six seven eight nine nine being where it's mostly just like a fluent conversation right and those the people who got to that level uh, we're mostly doing it just because they didn't have anyone to speak to in English. So they like wanted to talk about, you know, politics or whatever, mm-hmm. which is the Yankees. Like, I don't think, <laughs> yeah, they don't, they don't want you to do, but that was possible. But then the levels one through four were for, I think, elementary age kids. And so you got an extra dollar per lesson to teach those. And so, you know, I signed up for it. And I was like, I can like teach kids, you know, I'll talk to them like they're normal, you know, (laughs) (laughs) Um, and I, uh, they, they like, you know, had a separate day of training for that too, where they're like, okay, this is what you really need to do. Uh, you need to, you know, at the beginning of the class, have the kids line up outside of the class and get in a single file line and then, you know, kind of march them in the room and sit them down to like establish order. And the place where I had my first uh, kid lesson, they were like already in the room. Cause I, the other lesson I was working on like ran long or something. So I was like, <laughs> I'm not going to march them out and then back in. You've already messed and up was, their sense of order. <laughs> it was a train wreck. It was like, throwing erasers at me and standing up on the table jumping um we will not be colonized by you white imperialist (laughs) (laughs) the thing though like afterwards the the front desk person who like you know checked the students in or whatever they told me that she was like yeah the the people who bring their kids to this just see it as daycare like i have to call them repeatedly when the lesson's over come pick your kid up the lesson is over um so i mean and i told the front desk person i was like i am not doing that again (laughs) (laughs) there was like another teacher that i had gone through the training with at the same time that worked at that school like on the same days and i don't i don't know why but she didn't have any of the kids classes and so she was like oh yeah i can do it and she was actually good like teaching them Mm -hmm. which was fine but you know i'm not uh I like kids enough. Like Miho's great with kids. Her whole family is insanely great with kids. Uh, language barrier or not, they can just make eye contact and like they're they can you know have a good time. And <laughs> there, um, there's no deep seated trauma behind those eyes that freaks the kids out. <laughs> okay, you may have come upon a source of some of this confusion for me <laughs> yeah it was it was rough what's never ending to find the beginning that came before everything like
Yeah, that's what I like. Nikki, you know, she's uh, she's a saint for being able to do what she does with the like. It's kind of fucked up. Like uh, she's pre pre K, but because Dallas doesn't have universal pre K, um, it's like a partnership program that happens uh, outside of DISD with a bunch of uh, you know. Uh, daycare centers and church daycare programs and other things like that where basically they provide their campuses as the location since Dallas doesn't have enough classrooms to have pre-k in every single elementary school because that's Mm -hmm. not how the elementary schools are run um but downside of that is that the pre-k partnerships program allows both pre-k level one and pre-k level two i guess some schools do that where like three-year-olds go into pre-k one four-year-olds go into pre-k two to get ready for kindergarten um but when they combine the three and four-year-olds together it's that's there's a dramatic difference between a three and a (laughs) four-year-old yeah and uh so the the four-year-olds especially the ones who were did the class last year they already did all the class and it's not like the curriculum changes because they're all together. So like the, the kids who were three-year-olds last year are just doing it again as a four-year-old now. And then, but this year she has way more three-year-olds than four-year-olds. So like the dynamic is all much more daycare-esque than uh, active learning environment. <clears throat> so it's it's been that level of... Uh, struggle where you still got to implement all your benchmarks and parts of the curriculum and things like that but the execution and the the buy-in from the kids and everything it's just you just have to accept that it's way harder to do that with a <laughs> with a three-year-old than it is for a four-year-old they have like 25 yeah. percent more life experience than the than their predecessor <laughs> yeah yeah that's that's got to be really tough um, I can't remember too well, obviously spoken about it, but I was in like, I don't know. I, I think I called it like pre-K whenever I was in it as a kid, but I, it could have just been like daycare because both my parents worked, uh, when I was little. Yeah. And then I did, I think we've spoken about it. Like <laughs> me and my sister were in all of the after school daycare kind of things They would pick you up in a van yeah 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 from the school um and we were also like not always but uh i would say probably at least four out of every five days a week the last ones where the teachers or you know whatever you would call them 
are like, your parents are coming, right? (laughs) Yeah. They've already turned off all the lights and mopped the floor of the daycare center. You you were, you were the, uh, the holdover nineties kid who was still a latchkey kid. Like all of us from the early eighties. Uh, as in like needed to have somebody watch them. No, like I don't understand what the latchkey kid term means. Basically, uh, your your parents worked all the time, and so you had a key to get in and oh, out of your right. house yes. because you were going to be expected to like. Sometimes you're just going to come home alone from school, and you needed to get in. And sometimes it was going to be up to you to. You're the last one out of the house in the morning to catch the ride to school, so you're going to have to lock everything up. <laughs> yeah, uh, I definitely. I think. Maybe by fifth grade, fourth or fifth grade. Yeah, we were like, uh, just had a key to the house. And my sister at that time would would have been in kindergarten or first grade, uh, like at the same school. Possibly, possibly that time, maybe middle school. But yeah, or we had, I mean, I don't know if you would call it, you know, the invention of technology. We were more of the the dial pad on the garage door kid. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Everyone knew their code. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Gotta gotta cover it though, you know, so that those creeps driving by can't see. Your- no, we my house on Sinbad Circle when I grew up, when it did have garage doors, it was the old double doors that you had to like pull up manually, you know, and then it had like a the latch on it that you put a padlock through to lock it on the outside. Uh-huh. And then when our garage, when our house got broken into through the garage when I was six years old, that's we were there. That was crazy. <laughs> that is nuts. Um, but after that, my my dad's solution was like, you know, they'll probably never be able to break in if we just convert the garage and I just turn these uh, garage doors into walls. So that's yeah. what he did. I mean, that will <laughs> no longer be a door if it is a wall. <laughs> It's very true. Um, how are you? So was your garage when you were home, like always unlocked at that point in time with those kinds of doors? Um, Yes. And, you know, it was it was an old house built like in 1948. So one of them like was kind of depending on the time of the year was permanently shut. You you couldn't mm. that, because the house would shift and like it would get wedged on the bottom. So there's no way you could open it. Um, but yeah, like that was the way that we accessed everything. Cause like you had a bunch of stuff there to pull the basketball out to shoot, shoot hoops in the driveway or whatever. Like it was always just unlocked yeah. so you could get to everything. <laughs> My mom, what? we, we had had, um, we had had a, like a brand new house in Stephenville where we had lived before we uh, moved to Dallas when I was six. And it had like a you know, like a retractable guitar- garage door with a remote and everything. And it was a much bigger garage. And so when we moved into this one um, in Dallas, um, in one of the first weeks that we lived there, my mom absentmindedly was dry- was pulling into the garage and she just busted the front end of the car right through the kitchen wall that was oh, the no. end and like it shoved the uh the stove and <laughs> the oven like inside the inside the kitchen by about a foot <laughs> that's insane <laughs> she just like didn't stop in time and just plowed right into the kitchen wall <laughs> wow oh yeah that's rough i'm you i know, think I that was also like- when my dad was like 
stubbornly uh, trying to get her to drive a, uh, we had this Volvo station wagon that was a stick and my mom couldn't drive a stick, but he was like, well, we need a station wagon for all these kids and I'm, uh, we don't have any money to go buy an automatic. So that might've also <laughs> yeah. been part of the, <laughs> part of the culprit of why she just coasted right in through the, right in through the kitchen. <laughs> Listen, she hit the clutch. Um, <laughs> got the second foot needs a job. Um, I said like, you know, those, the garage doors were unlocked, but you're, you're, you know, a handyman. I'm assuming garage doors are currently unlocked for the most part, but would it just cause a whole lot of noise if somebody was to try to rip up like a, you know, machine retractable one or do those like lock? They lock on the, in the motor part, there's like uh-huh. an arm that reaches down whenever it closes and when it foot reaches its full close, it's sort of like a winch, like a little locking okay. locking clip goes behind the gear so that you can't lift up to do that. But then when you press the button on your remote, that clip releases and then it can wind up the gear. Okay. That makes sense. Um, technology, you know. Hey, you you have a garage now with that, right? Yeah, yeah, I do have a garage. So it'll it'll to... probably break or something will happen and you'll have to take that little motor apart, figure out what's wrong so you don't have to spend $500. <laughs> you'll figure it out, I promise. <laughs> <laughs> I had to, I got like, so, you know, I take my bike around now and I got like a keychain uh, garage door one, like a garage door thing, you know? Mm-hmm. Um opener or whatever remote there we go and the i was able to program our individual thing um fine but the remote i got you know getting it from a well-trusted online resource that is selling it for dirt cheap Mm -hmm. uh, it's like a weird kind where i have to tell the remote which type of garage code system it is okay yeah so it's like when you get a new remote for your tv or air conditioner or whatever and you gotta manually uh, program it the cool thing with tv remotes is they have you know arrows that you can type in names and search right 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 right. new tv or there might even be Um, like a display thing on the remote that you can like see the code that you're putting in exactly (laughs) uh but with garage door openers you have to you know press the button you want to use um hold it down until a light blinks press a separate button so that they know that you want to code that first button you pushed then press that button the correct number of times for whatever type of code your garage door thing is and this is a long-winded way of saying i can open our garage door haven't figured out how to get the gate to the like (laughs) i thought you were going to say that you figured out the the it it matched with the brand and make of your garage door, but now your key, your garage fob opens every one of your neighbor's garage doors when you <laughs> when you roll in and you don't know how to stop. No, that would be pretty funny. <laughs> no, I can't get the gate to open, so it's, I got to like come in with the key to like a different gate and walk the bike all the way around down some stairs and stuff, or hope <clears throat> that a neighbor's pulling in. And they, you know, we're new here, so I hope they recognize me just riding in a circle behind their car. Yeah, yeah, waiting just for waiting. To, is your, yeah. Does your gate have a, a keypad, too, for a code entry, or is it just the the remote fob? Yeah, it's just the uh, remotes. 
So how do you get a pizza um, and, delivered? Uh, well, I mean, we're close to the street, so I would imagine call me. I've always done the call me, though. I've never, any apartment we've lived in, I've never, I, I rarely get food delivered. But if we do, we wouldn't do the bring it to my apartment door. Mm-hmm. I don't know what it is. I attract the delivery people <clears throat> looking for a way in. I have like, no matter where I am, I would always run into somebody and they'd be like, just, you know, looking at their phone while they got a bag of McDonald's or whatever, which <laughs> let's not get McDonald's delivered, people. <laughs> Look, people need jobs. This is a gig economy. We, <laughs> you know, we're going to need to uh, be able to uh, get our McDonald's delivered, even if the McDonald's itself only costs $4. If we got to pay $12 to have that delivered, you know, we got to keep we got to keep this gig economy alive. I guess. Yeah. Um, or ordering like IHOP or something. There's no way it's good. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I like TC has done IHOP a few times and I, delivery pancakes. I don't know. I just can't get around. I can't wrap my head around how that stays good. Plus it like can't. there's something about me with syrup too. Like I'm fine having syrup on something for breakfast. I'm not a big sweets guy for breakfast anyway, but like syrup only really if we're at a restaurant. Like I don't like the smell of syrup in my house. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Cause it's just there. Like you can't, I don't know. You, you, you might've made pancakes like a week ago and it still smells like syrup somewhere <laughs> in your house. I, it, I think your smelling may be enhanced. So, <laughs> yeah, that. <laughs> uh. And maybe it's me. I'm not buying the authentic maple syrup. I'm getting the the cheap corn syrup uh, derivative based stuff. So it always kind of smells like cat piss or something afterwards. The the hungry jack that has the bottle you can heat in the microwave, and it's got the little the little microwave. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> and I would get that, which seems like I'm sure the plastic was leaching out into the syrup being heated up that many times, right? I mean, that that was the that was the uh the invention of that bottle was that it was the one that was microwave safe. <laughs> exactly. It's the first microwave safe bottle. <laughs> and then the and then like, oh, I, your family who just buys the cheap you know, store brand syrup. He's like, I saw you could put this in the microwave on that commercial. <laughs> Man, I screwed up our, our very first microwave. At least, well, at least the first one I can remember that I could use. Uh, I was being babysat one time and we were watching a movie and made popcorn and I was spritzing my, I can't believe it's not butter on each piece and eating it. And then, you know, you got the kernels at the bottom Back back in my day, Josh, uh, not every kernel in the bag would pop. Hey. I don't know how they've improved <laughs> microwaves to this point. But do they do they all pop now? It gets pretty close. Okay, I I kind of gave up on popcorn after high school because I worked when I worked at the skating rink. Like the amount of popcorn that we would go through and sell at that concession stand, and the amount of like cleaning out the. The chain, the big chamber pot thing at the top that you'd put the giant yes. thing of butter in. I just, I can't eat. I can't ever do it again. I'm, you got. I'm squ- over popcorn for the rest of my life. 
Man, I worked at a movie theater and I am I am here for popcorn still. <laughs> I would take trash bags of it home each night. My car reeked of popcorn. Oh. <laughs> I would go down in the morning and have forgotten that I put an extra bag in my trunk too. Um <laughs> No, no, Eric. It's not right how you're supposed to, to respond to this experience. <laughs> Are you supposed to put popcorn next to your subwoofers that you bought for some reason in your trunk? <laughs> Just having kernels bouncing around the trunk. Um, so I, I then thought, I'll just reheat these uh, mm, kernels. So I mm-hmm. put, them, put them in a plastic bag, a Ziploc bag. And they're in a bag. I don't need to have a plate underneath and just melted plastic onto that mm-hmm, turntable. Mm-hmm. They didn't even pop? Uh, I think I'd put it on for like 30 seconds and none of them popped. And then I was like, what's the deal? And just saw, you know, a boiling mess. It's got to be some sort of genetic thing with the kernels. Like they didn't have the right moisture content on the inside, you know? in order to be able to have that little water droplet on the inside activate from the microwave and explode them? I don't, yeah, I don't know if it's that. Something about maybe they bags have a, back then or... Maybe they have a better like genetic the, selection of each kernel now. They have like a... Possibly. Every single one is almost a clone of the next one, so they're all perfect poppers. <laughs> yeah, they all have the exact same shape. It's like the vivarium popcorn. Yeah, it's what they said is, you know, you got to watch out for those GMOs. <laughs> this was the issue. Um, you're, we're not supposed to have perfectly popped popcorn. If you're getting perfectly popped popcorn, it's genetically modified. Don't if eat you it. Look at Ezekiel chapter four, verse <laughs> seven. <laughs> I believe that's why. Uh, you know, I I wish I had read the Bible recently so that I could pull out the name of the person who turned around and was turned into a pillar of salt. Mm, that's Seth Lot's wife. wife. Lot, Lot's, Lot's wife. wife. I knew not it was in three Ezekiel. Letters. That's uh, way early. We're we're uh, still in. Uh, it's got to be Genesis. In, yeah, we haven't even gotten to Moses or having to get out of Egypt yet, or any of that stuff. Still, the What's beginning. The, isn't there a book of the Bible that's like just listing names? Uh, there's a few, like numbers is kind of just a big catalog of laws and restrictions and rules and like, uh, how many cows you can have and how to count sheep in a herd and, you know, what is the point of keeping that in there? Well, uh, nowadays, well, uh, yeah, (laughs) you think you got it, you think about it back then you know they're the first humans to ever live so they need an instruction manual so you got a deuteronomy that tells you like how to set up a camp tells you like how to not get hepatitis it there's speci- there's like a whole chapter in deuteronomy that specifically tells you like how to take a shit you know downstream and downwind of your camp bury it you know don't do it next to your camp upstream up you know all these types of things they're like just basic rules you know god wants to keep that- you healthy is Deuteronomy where you can't eat like shellfish and pigs and stuff then? Or is that something else? Uh, yeah, I mean, a little bit of that comes from the those early laws, but that's also more Leviticus, I think. Oh, okay. That's right. Leviticus is the one that all of the hate groups uh, cite. <laughs> my, my, my favorite book of the Bible is Leviticus. No, it... Uh, <laughs> Man, I used to be able to just rattle off, I could rattle off all the stories of the Old Testament 
based upon the chronology of the books of the Bible, then, you know, get in all the Nahum, Habakkuk, you know, all those, all those little one-offs after Esther and Judges, Ruth, (laughs) used to be able to tell you all those stories. It's, it's, it's evaporating from my mind because I wasn't reinforcing it (laughs) by staying in Sunday school my whole life. (laughs) Come to this side. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I don't remember any of that. I took like a couple classes in college because you had to. There was one that was like the the like scripture class that was specifically, you know, it would essentially be like what, you know, give you a verse or whatever. And then you have to uh pair it like it would it would have the sentence and then you would have to pair it with whatever verse or whatever yeah, that yeah, is. Yeah, yeah. and then there's like the sort of history type class that talks about like the the changes that the old testament went through and then the new testament and then the apocrypha and all that kind of stuff um which is an amazing class to make people no longer religious. <laughs> like, <laughs> right right because it tells you like the origins <laughs> and you're like and really i mean uh Who's to know if Paul actually wrote any of these epistles? I don't know. It's <laughs> yeah, yeah. tough to tell. <laughs> it's always funny, like, I, whenever I think back on my professors, because I, I'm pretty sure at Baylor you have to sign a thing saying that you're, if at if not Baptist, at least, you know. Protestant. Protestant. You bet, um, and, like, it better be, like, Methodist newer Protestant. Something. No, no <laughs> I was going to say, we don't, we don't even want, oh. like, Methodist and uh, Anglican, that's still a little bit too close to Catholic for us. We're looking for okay. Presbyterians, uh, Baptists, Bible Church, you know, the people, the salt of the earth people that really can understand the Bible for themselves. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> and then indoctrinate others. Yeah. Um, but there had to be some teachers that, or professors that didn't, right? There has to be somebody who's like, listen... I live in Central Texas. I need a job. Um, yeah, I'm, there's got to be like just from the school, like people that go to get medical degrees that have absolutely no religiosity in them. But this is also the number one Baptist school in the state too. So we gotta somehow like uh, kind of uh, at least for undergrad uh, do do some of the religious stuff. Yeah, I don't know. There was, I had a history teacher that was like super into Second Life, like that online game. Yeah, and that that for me doesn't. There's no Venn diagram for that and Baptist. <laughs> <laughs> Look, everyone doesn't want to go to hell. So if you really don't want to go to hell, you might just you know Pascal's wager this and stay a Baptist. Uh, yeah, I guess so. Um, but anyways. Me, on the other hand, I've got a middle finger Satan just daring him, just daring him to bring me down there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, uh, it would be interesting. I, I don't know. I, <laughs> have you listened to like Matt Christman's recent kind of stuff? No, no, I have, I've, I haven't been on, uh, Chapo for a minute. Oh, uh, see? Yeah, because you, you're all woke now. Yeah, I'm too woke um, for Chapo. They they offend me. <laughs> yes. Uh, so, you know, I've told you he's got, like, his own stuff where he's talking about, you know, different political stuff, re- like a book club kind of thing mm-hmm. he does episodes on, and which is very interesting because I like the way that he can kind of 
explain stuff. He knows a good amount of those sorts of things. And, you know, I don't take it verbatim, but it's nice to have a perspective on, you know, the way that capital has shifted throughout the, like one of the books he recently did was, um, the, what is it called? It's not the rise of capital or capitalism or something. It's, it's like the creating capitalism or something. Um, so that's very interesting stuff, but man, I think he's gone down the like deity <laughs> like road. Yeah, whenever he does like a Q and A, he gets very off into like this like mix of LSD uh, trips with like you know that's the reason Jesus was you oh, know no. the the best human that has been described. Did it's he very do weird DMT? Did he do DMT and we lost him? No, I think just LSD. Um, so usually LSD won't be the thing that does it. <sighs> oh, well. Uh, it's it's weird at this point in podcasting that we've come to, like as far as these political ones go to, because we've, you know, uh, I don't know how many people who are listening have seen it, but, you know, we had Brett Payne on and Street Fight is no longer those two guys, Brett Payne and Brian Quimby. Yeah. But they just put out like the it's trailer not for a documentary. It's <laughs> not our fault. No, <laughs> nothing that what happened in any of that stuff is our fault. <laughs> I will not. I will not take credit for any of it. <laughs> it's it's just interesting, which makes sense. Like you know, they had done the show, I think, for like eleven years or something. But it's weird to like. I don't know. I feel like we're just starting yeah so only nine more till one of us has a psychotic break i guess i don't know um you know we're we're gonna end up fighting and uh we're gonna be like uh opie and anthony just hating each other but coming in for the paycheck (laughs) yeah the paycheck that's that's the only reason i'm here really yeah <clears throat> oh, well, as we trod upon other podcasting genres, it's time for a movie review. Oh, really? What movie What movie did you watch? You said that we were doing Glass this week. Oh, yeah. What What'd you think? <laughs> you know, I thought uh, it was a crime that the guy who uh, has the multiple personalities didn't win an Oscar. Um, and I'm not just reading comments of James on McAvoy. The- Sure. Um, yeah. Did you did you watch? Did you ever? Um, did you see Split? I saw Split. I I after Split saw uh, what is it? Unbreakable. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, I should remember that. That's what. Uh, that's my new nickname from Justin since I'm <laughs> working out with bricks in my garage. Um. <laughs> uh, and, so you've uh, seen the whole trilogy. Glass. You've seen the yes. whole trilogy. You know, you know how it all works out. Well, don't spoil it for everyone. I don't want anyone to. <laughs> Have you seen it? Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, okay. Of course you did. You're a big M Night Shyamalan head. Yeah, he's absolutely my favorite. No, I mean he's all right. Do you wa- I... do you watch? Uh, what's the name of his show? Uh, the Babysitter. The I forget. I didn't know he had a show. He's got a show on Apple TV Plus. It's about like this uh, lady who has a baby. It's her and her husband like in Philadelphia. They're upper class people. Um, Something happens like early on in the in the baby being with the family. It either dies from SIDS. Something happens and the kid dies. You don't ever really know. But like uh, 
so they start to in order to help her cope with the trauma the uh, the husband and her brother like talk to a therapist and the therapist is like you know this helps sometimes with people you know coming to the because she was like oh, delu- getting like the real baby doll yeah thing? The, she gets like the baby doll thing to put in the thing because she she doesn't believe or she she's blacked out the memory of the this kid dying um mm-hmm. and then at some point like the uh husband goes in and uh because he hears crying on the baby monitor and then he goes in and it's like a real baby's in there again and so then the whole uh then they have to like hire a nanny to like take care of this real baby which they don't know where it came from but because the wife doesn't acknowledge that the baby ever died she thinks it everything's fine and they don't know what to do <laughs> to like do we break her now because or are were we the ones that are delusional that thought the kid died <laughs> and it's uh it's it's a it's a pretty good mind fuck of a tv show yeah it's um the servant that's what it's called the servant yeah because the okay. uh the nanny they hire is that's it's kind of like ends up being based around her but Okay. That's the premise. Well, yeah, I haven't watched that. Um, I was a big, you know, speaking, I'm still in the mood, you know, Halloween mood. Um, <laughs> I can't remember what year it was, but or it was probably just whenever the, uh, the Village came out. But I made my own The Village costume. Hell yeah. One year. Um, the big, the red cape with all the spiky uh, porcupine quills out of it or whatever. Yeah, I got like... You know those those like rubber spiders that had the wire in the legs that mm-hmm. were kind of big? Yeah, yeah. Around early 2000. Um, I got those and cut them off, put wrapped wire around it so I could wear it like a backpack. So I stuck those out the back, painted them brown. And then I got a pig mask that I put like, instead of horns that you would glue up here, like horn, I put it as like tusks kind of. Mm-hmm. Man, that was a fantastic costume. And that was... I think that was after I had decided to, I was not going to trick or treat anymore. I was like, just going to hand out candy. Um, but then I made that costume. I'm like, give me I gotta all make the a candy. comeback. <laughs> Hell yeah. So, so, uh, <laughs> did you get shoved into a pit and you're dead now? Uh, no, no. Uh, cause blind maybe. people will do that to you. You better watch out. Whenever you wear one of those costumes around a blind person, they will murder you. Oh Yeah. Isn't there, there's got to be some, there's like some problematic thing about the village, right? Isn't like Joaquin Phoenix, um, or maybe not him, but somebody's like plays a mentally handicapped character. Well, that's and, what Adrian Brody is. Like, um, that's one of the reasons he is playing, um, mentally handicapped, but that's one of the reasons why his family moved to the village when he was a little kid. Because remember, they like it's a family that's dealing with, kind of like a Sandy Hook situation uh, or a group of families that are dealing with kind of like a Sandy Hook situation and they just want to check out of society and raise their kids in a place where they don't have to worry about gun violence and all this other stuff. I don't remember that they all... I thought... I forgot the the plot of The Village. <clears throat> and so like it's been like... When when you're dropped into it, I guess it's like they've been doing the village thing for like 15 or 20 years since uh-huh. whatever the event was. And you only find out about the event at the very end, you know, M. Night Shyamalan yeah. twist style. 
but yeah, Adrian Brody is the one who gets killed because he puts on the costume, and then you know, Brian Bright, blind Bryce Dallas Howard. It's tough to say, blind Bryce Dallas Howard. Uh, when she's the only one brave enough to go on the quest to find the medicine to heal Joaquin Phoenix because Adrian Brody stabs him. Um, Adrian Brody follows her in one of the big monster costumes and then she pushes him into a pit full of spikes and kills him because blind people are yeah. badass. Yeah, I remember that sort of. But she never knows that it was him. She thinks she just vanquished the monster. Yeah. Um, that was a good movie. Um, but glass was, I want there was like no twist on it. It should have been whenever they were like fighting or whatever at the end and they were in the parking lot, it should have been somebody else's perspective mm-hmm. and it's just three people. Like it should have totally broken that they're like super powered people or whatever. Yeah. 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 And I don't know if it, but, I don't know if it lends itself to another installment. I don't know. I mean, it kind of glass was the twist off of Split. And I Split was filmed almost as if like you had no idea Unbreakable existed. Uh right. You would you would not have known it until like the last minute. And even then, like if you had not seen Unbreakable, there's no way you would have put it together, I don't think. Yeah, which I had not. <laughs> <laughs> um Yeah, I can't I I don't know. That was a weird one. But I I think M. Night Shyamalan has everybody kind of <laughs> gave up on it after. <laughs> like, Signs was really good. Um, I never saw, what is the, like, I Can See Dead People one. Uh, uh, the Sixth Sense. That was the first one. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that was the first one. Signs was, I think, well done, right? Yeah, Signs was at good. At the time. Mm-hmm. Um, Swing Away the Village was good. What was the one? There was one too where like there was a house of people and they thought they had ghosts and then it turned out they were the ghosts or whatever. Oh, that's the others. That's not M. Night Shyamalan. That's the oh, one okay. that everyone says copied the sixth sense and that, um, oh. that was, I, I, I don't even know if they sued each other over that. Um, you can sue somebody for an idea like that? I don't know. I, there, but there was no. some, there was some controversy about that. That was the others with uh, Nicole Kidman. I forget who directed that one. Okay, well, that was good. <laughs> um, yeah, he, I didn't see, or there's the Mark Wahlberg one where the grass is killing everybody, and that one's oh, pretty man, terrible. I saw that in theaters. <laughs> it was horrible. <laughs> and uh, I watched, I've seen like half, I fell asleep uh, through it, uh, Old, the one where they all, all the people are like on a oh, island one? Costa Rica vacation or whatever, and they go to a secluded beach, but somehow they all start aging really rapidly. What was the twist in that one? I I've only I fell asleep halfway through, so I I there might be a big twist at the end to explain it all when I, everyone was just aging really fast and the they had like uh, little kids with them at the beginning and all of a sudden they were like prepubescent teenagers and then you turn around and they were teenagers and one of them was pregnant and you're like what how did how what <laughs> that's so weird I gotta look this up later I don't feel like watching that movie I just want to know what the point of it is <clears throat> yeah um i don't know what other movies he's done other than the like he's been doing the tv show the servant but oh he did the avatar avatar oh Air yeah Avenger. the but he didn't he didn't put i don't think he made a twist out of that one you know he made them all blue oh 
because there are airbenders. Right. Air That's is an blue. avatar joke. Get it? Yeah. <laughs> <All right>. <laughs> <laughs> so uh how how are we gonna make make the link to an amorphous solid about this? You 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 figure out the the way the bridge. I think just really the whole point of uh glass and the concept of Samuel L. Jackson's character is that um we're made of seventy percent water, or was it more? And mm-hmm. Uh, glass has always been called a liquid, uh, and it's not a liquid. So yeah, t- tune in next week. <laughs> <laughs> well, why isn't it a liquid, Eric? Because uh, it seems to me like when you heat it up, it it's like a liquid, but then when it cools down, it's like a solid. You know, kind of like water. Water, you, you heat it up, and it's a liquid, and uh, you cool it down, and it crystallizes like a solid. So. I don't see why everyone's having such a problem with this phase transition. <laughs> yeah, I I was always confused by that. Um especially having the uh scientifically illiterate uh upbringing that I did, like looking at, you know, the glass table that's on our patio that has ripples in it. Mm-hmm. Like you know it's it's a liquid and being like are you trying to tell me that these ripples are moving? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, it's similar with like concrete. Like uh, certain definitions of concrete, even when it's cured, it's still a liquid. I, yeah, I don't understand that. It's, uh, <laughs> anything can be melted down. Yeah, because <laughs> so, like if you get a bunch, enough harmonic resonance traveling through concrete, it will move like a wave, even if it's completely cured and solidified. To what you, you think have, is completely cured and slip. Just look at uh, look at the bridges that all wobble and move and shake and things in earthquakes. Doesn't uh, like when in a steel beam um, wobble if you had enough energy and resonance? Ah, uh, yeah, there there is deflection in in steel and things like that. Wouldn't you? That's your big nine eleven theory. Um, yeah, steel is actually a liquid, right? Um, no, it's it's more it's more just the the fluid dynamics. Like you can apply that level of physics to a lot of things, even if even if uh, you think that it's like a solid thing that you can stand on. Yeah, traffic is fluid dynamics. Uh, Miho taught me that years ago. Um, it's I don't know why it got stuck, but yeah, it's 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 very interesting though that it is like. The chemistry of it is what makes glass to me so interesting mm-hmm. uh, because it's it's something that like you can have uh, there's the concept of an ideal glass and uh, but it's like impossible to make except like in the crust of the earth. Yeah. Over, you know, thousands of years and stuff, uh, which is kind of cool that there's this thing that like humans cannot currently do yeah um, it wouldn't it's a big, make sense to do it it's a big physics problem like it's one of those yeah. uh we still don't know how we we still don't get this is it a phase transition if we don't understand it fully from a physics standpoint and to to the point where the phase transition is just called like a glass transition when other things behave that way <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> we only know one thing that does that weird thing so we'll just call anything else that does something similar a glass 
it's it's glass transition. Yeah, it's uh, it's one of those things that it feels like a pop science kind of like, you know, fun fact, like at the bottom of a textbook or yeah. something. Um, but, I, you know, I've always heard about glass that it's like sand or, mm-hmm. you know, silica to be more specific. Uh, but it was kind of cool looking at that Nova show and having them explain it because they did a really good job and. 13 minutes oh yeah showing the grids of how the molecular geometry fits together in glass and then comparing it to water is really what unlocked it for me showing how like one creates a crystal lattice and the other can't do that yeah it's it's something so like the uh glass the main material is silica which is uh silicon and uh, two oxygens together so it looks like a water molecule uh, like the same basic structure uh, kind of although oxygen has different binding we'll just say it looks the same for now. <laughs> uh, the the attraction the angles part is are different. different yeah the the attraction is very different that's the thing and so uh the thing the way that water works is you have like you know oxygen and two hydrogens and they're in this kind of uh angular shape the the hydrogens are at a 120 degree angle and because of that it is able the oxygen is able to pull i think the hydrogens electrons closer to it so the oxygen you would say has like more negative potential Mm -hmm. i forget the actual name and like organic chemistry and then the hydrogens have more positive potential but that means whenever you have uh you know multiple water molecules together whenever they're cool enough because a a liquid water it's just warm enough that they're slushing around the attractions to each other can't stick Mm -hmm. you know yeah it's slushing around and in a frozen form in ice the hydrogens because they're slightly more positive and the oxygens being slightly more negative attract to each other close enough even though they're not the ones that are bound to each other Mm -hmm. so it forms this crystal structure where it's very uniform electromagnetism Um, lattice (laughs) yes and silicone silicon i forget which one the element is uh one goes in boobs i don't know (laughs) okay (laughs) silicon (laughs) so um uh silicon on the periodic table which is also like i don't think we've covered it we need to cover it sometime because it's i think it's taught (laughs) the exact wrong way in school okay um everyone is like told they need to memorize it right like you have to memorize the periodic table mm-hmm. at least and up you to come a certain... up you come up with all the songs and some everyone's got like their own rhyme scheme or or weird uh uh every good boy does fine type of thing for it <laughs> yes i don't even know what that goes to that's for music uh, e b g d f and so the periodic table the thing about it is it's a reference and 
for that reason, you do not need to memorize it. Yeah, you should not yeah. have to. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. It is it is meant for you to look at. And like the way that that was one of the biggest things which I didn't unlock until way later after school like oh, the reason the table is like arranged the way that it is is to is so that you don't have to memorize it. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> If I would have just like, understood like why the table was arranged in the way that it was, I wouldn't have had to fucking memorize every single one of them individually. That's what's <laughs> it's, it's so it's so poorly taught because it is like to memorize it means you lose context of what the table actually is. But mm-hmm. the reason it's in that kind of thick at the bottom U shape is because the levels of electrons that can be at a certain level it has to do with protons too but electrons are the more interesting things of uh atoms unless you're talking about fission mm-hmm. um and you the column that it's in is talking about how many like valence electrons which is ultimately the thing that you're most interested in when you're talking about atoms the electrons that are on the outside of the atom that actually do the interacting or it loses Mm -hmm. that atom loses an electron or gains one or whatever all of the bonding occurs because of that Mm -hmm. um and you know it, it gets uh very confusing when you bring in quantum mechanics talking about like the waves of atoms but yeah just for in our mind, we'll think of them as rigidly adhering to different shell hierarchies rotating around the center. Right. <laughs> you have to think of it that way when you're talking about stuff like this. We won't We won't um, be thinking uh, that they could simultaneously just bounce outside of their one shell orbit to a different shell, outer shell orbit at any time. And, right. You know, <laughs> uh, until we get to ideal glass, then we talk about quantum tunneling. Yeah. But, you know, until then... Uh, the, those shells can only house (laughs) like so many electrons in them technically. Um, and you can only, I mean, I won't even get into that. So you can only have so many on the outside and because of which column it is, that tells you how many electrons it is and how it, you know, the way that there's periodic tables that are kind of colored in a certain way Mm -hmm. and it seems to go vertically. It's because the atoms until a certain point that have the same valence shell number of electrons, the same number of electrons that can do the interacting with stuff kind of have similar ish properties. Um, It certainly gets like very weird, but you can break it down to like a category almost. That's kind of the same. That's why like all the neon gases are known as, uh, the way that they react is because of that, because mm. they have, you know, the full shell. Um, and so the thing with silicon is that it is the 14th element. Right above it is carbon. Um, and carbon has four uh, valence shell electrons and silicone silicon does as well. So they can form the same type of bonds. Um, and when you think of bonding carbon together, you can 
go into things like hydrocarbons, uh, which are just hydrogens and carbons, and you essentially have this chain of carbons going together. Um, because carbon only has two shells, that's why it's on the second row of the periodic table, it only has two shells of electrons, its electrons are closer to the center and pulled tighter. And for that reason, ish uh it is able to bond with itself it can form like a stronger bond Mm -hmm. um and form these chains or form like you know uh coal or whatever like it can graph graphite right yeah you it's it's like you can link up a bunch of magnets together because if you get them matching up to the to the sides correctly you can create an endless chain of those magnets yeah, because they have those interactions where it's able to tightly bond with itself. Uh, silicon, on the other hand, even though it has the same basic structure, if it were to bind with itself as carbon would, um, it has three valence shell or it has three electron shells. So it's a weaker attraction. So that means it like just kind of falls apart very quickly uh when mixed with things like water which is a very reactive molecule Mm -hmm. um you know we always think water is like very chill (laughs) yeah but it it interacts a ton yeah yeah and that we well we've talked about that too how uh just in life science and stuff like that how um water is like useful for for life and for us but there are instances where water is toxic <laughs> and oxygen yeah. is toxic too. Yeah, it's, it's you know, knowing all of this stuff with chemistry is like, I don't know. I, I love how it all links together because you start to see how, you know, those chemical interactions operate and stuff. I know I've said that multiple times before, but um, so the thing with glass is that if it is in a perfect crystal structure, so say it's a crystal that was formed in the mantle of the earth, um, where, or not man, I don't know. I'm not great at earth, but (laughs) the, the hot magma cooled and formed hot igneous rock that is then heating up groundwater that is rushing towards the surface. And that flow of water slowly over time ions, of uh silicon come out and and mix with you know oxygens and stuff to form quartz which is for the intents of this discussion a perfectly crystal structure mm-hmm. um that takes you know thousands of years probably probably more i mean to get all the silica um, to line up like that to organize yeah. in a lattice shape and not repel each other and or just scatter away. It is, if heated up to whatever temperature it needs to be heated up to, it will no longer form that crystal structure because it's too weak of a bond that it will cool before those bonds can line up. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's what it means by an amorphous solid, that it's like not lined up. There's different distances between the silica molecules some of them are tightly packed some of them are kind of stretched out and all this stuff yeah yeah Um, that's that's the and you you see this with glass all the time it makes sense when you think about it when you see like blown glass into a 
bowl or a cup or um, even like a, a crazy art wavy wavy glass shape form. Um, it's the arrest the the rapid cool down from the molten state is arrests those um, that all that silicon in in the arrangement that it was when it was molten rather than all those um, molecules reorganizing themselves into a crystalline lattice like ice does with water when it goes from uh, the liquid to the solid state. So it is a, I guess it's technically a phase change, but it's not a phase change like anything else that goes from a liquid to a solid because of that because of the molecular geometry and how those things attract to each other, you basically can't, the cool down process arrests wherever the wandering <laughs> silica molecules were going. Yeah. And because of that, it, it forms like this shape that if you're able to put other stuff into it, it will still hold fairly well. Like it doesn't get, uh, polluted by throwing in, you know, specific things that we use to make most of the glass that we have, like the soda lime glass, mm -hmm. where you throw in soda ash, which is sodium carbonate, two sodiums, one carbon, three oxygens, and that lowers the melting temperature, so it's easier to work with. And then you can also mix in crushed limestone, which like stabilizes the structure, which is calcium carbonate, mm -hmm. um, and the combination of those things allows it to then be formed in the way like the glass blowing itself is something have you ever done it like i've, I've never always... done it. i i got i got kind of hooked on that um uh glass blowing show that was on netflix right yeah um but yeah it, it just it seems so cool to me it seems so cool it seems um I don't know something about. I want to do it, it with a seem... straw and a Jolly Rancher like that guy did in the in the example. <laughs> yeah. It's like you could you could kind of do this with anything. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean that was the like point that they were making that anything that's an amorphous solid is a glass. Mm -hmm. So like plastic and all that kind of stuff. Like sugar glass um, is a glass. <laughs> yeah, uh, which is you know a a fun science word to then. Like, I forget the other ones, but it's like, you know, kind of useless at that point. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Be, uh, f f you know, we make glass. It's like, okay, you make caps for pins. Um, <laughs> the, the, the structure, though, of glass is like fun and cool. Um, and one of the weird things about it, like I, so I mentioned how it has four valence shell electrons. Um, it makes a single bond to the two um, oxygens on it. And so it has like those extra spots for, you know, hydrogens or other sort of bonds to it. Uh, I believe whenever it's like in glass or in quartz or whatever, it is the silicon is bound to two oxygens, but then you know, attracted to two other oxygens mm -hmm. that are bound to a silicon. Um, and so the structure of it is that each silicon is sort of attracted to two other oxygens. Um, and something that's like really weird about it that in 
the uh, ideal glass world where it would be a crystal structure, mm-hmm. um, it is in the perfect configuration for the silicon to be bound to oxygens, to be slightly attracted with other oxygens and all that kind of stuff. Because of that, for some reason, um, it has like a way lower heat capacity, especially when reaching like near absolute zero. Uh, and so it has like, it cannot absorb heat or have heat in it as much uh, because there's nowhere technically for that silicon to like shift form. Oh, right. For to, to absorb the energy to release the energy. Yeah, and because the amorphous solid uh, state of, like, other glass, the amorphous version of glass, um, it has a much higher heat capacity at that low level because of quantum mechanics that it is then able, the silicon is able to shift arrangements through the wave function that there is potential it vibrates just enough that on the quantum level it absorbs and can give energy <laughs> from, from yes. heat okay <laughs> like isn't that like that's kind of cool that you can actually tie in uh the quantum mechanics to this chemistry of it that yeah because of the wave function at that level it is able to like be bound to the other two oxygens and then be you know jump back and be bound to the other ones but that shifting of but probabilities right but it doesn't just totally just melt back into like liquid molten glass right right so i guess at that point you could say it's a quantum liquid maybe yeah 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 um and we spoke about the the quantum tunneling and the fusion episode um so right go back and give that a listen you know that's that's when uh you need the um electrons to jump levels from in the in the shell hierarchy around the nucleus right right with like lower temperatures than a star can create yeah um the other cool thing in that nova thing though the thing that i'd never even thought about was when they threw the drops of the molten glass into the water to super cool them really fast and then that was so great (laughs) so they just drop like a blob of molten glass into a big vat of water and you know just like you would think about it as it cools like that whole thing cools into its droplet whatever the droplet form was as the molten glass hit the water so you have like it looks kind of like a sperm it's like a big bulb where the uh where the initial blob hit and then there's like a long skinny tail where the molten was dripping off of whatever you're pouring it out of into the water and um so they uh the the guy at the at the glass laboratory takes it out and he hands it to the uh scientist who's doing the documentary he's like okay so we're going to cover up this bulb now with uh with a towel and I'm going to give you this hammer I'm going to say hit it as hard as you can and so he's all kind of worried like well I'm just going to bust this piece of glass and he hits it as hard as he can multiple times and the glass does not break if anything, the aluminum table that the glass was sitting on is now dented in from the I, hammer. I think it hits. was a steel table. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's basically indestructible because of it's solid solidified so quickly and it's a complete through and through solid piece of glass there. Um, however, it's stored 
all of the energy that it had at that time, whenever it was molten, it stored it all inside of it whenever it super cooled quickly. So if you take just the very end of the tip of the tail, the most little brittle microscopic thread at the end of the tail, and you just break that like a tip of it off, the entire bulb shatters into a million pieces into dust. Because once you've released the energy that is all stored in that by breaking just that little tip, none of the structure can hold together anymore. It's like a house of cards. Yeah, that was fantastic that they, and it's a little confusing to me, but they described it that the outside of it solidifies so fast, Mm -hmm. but the inside is still heated and has that energy. But when it cools, it is like compressing from the inside. Yeah, it's that outside. The the attraction is, it's causing a compression in the inside, but the attraction is almost a pull from the center that is causing the force of everything in the inside to compress as it goes towards the center of that glass rather than being a compressive force of push from the outside to squeeze it it's the it's the pull attraction that's causing the compression from the inside yeah it's that was so fantastic the prince rupert's drops was it is it rupert or rupert i don't know you're the artist <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what the art has to do with it. I, well, I thought that's what he that I thought that it was like an accident that then turned into like uh, these an art exhibition or something after the fact. Oh, I I don't know. <laughs> and they look real, they look really cool. I can imagine like if you got like cool, uh, you had mixed in some different uh, dyes or different color crystal and stuff into your glass to have it be different colors. That you could make some really cool looking stuff by doing that method yeah i would imagine so um i i used to do that with like uh wax from candles um but probably doesn't have the same yeah i don't you could probably hit the wax with a hammer is just gonna <laughs> it's just gonna smash, smash. <laughs> um but i thought it was very interesting like this goes to show kind of the scientific process like how science needs to be able to just do stupid stuff obviously back then if you're a prince hey you can drop as much molten glass in water as you want yeah, nobody's yeah. gonna he's, he's got he probably has the one furnace that can heat something up to four thousand degrees or two thousand degrees <laughs> right. back then. like who like nobody's making a fire out of their little uh <laughs> their little uh bread maker or whatever that's heating up that hot yeah, people are freezing outside, but he's showing them this little glass thing he made. Take this, peasant. No, I'm um, sure. Yeah, he's probably got like twenty peasants, like with big fans and blowers, like at the base of that, of the base right, of right. that cauldron, just keeping it hot as they can. <laughs> I would love to know what is his saw punishment. Yeah, <laughs> he pours he's the he pours the molten glass down your throat. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I was. <laughs> I was thinking more that all of the drops explode at once around him, but that's uh, that works too. Uh, and so the they took that concept though, like they actually studied it scientifically, and it is the same sort of concept for how they make tempered glass. Yeah, which I was shocked. I thought tempered glass like had layers of something in it or additional materials in it yeah but it's just the way that it's cooled 
Yeah, I you know, I as a kid, I thought it had something to do with like because like um our car window got shot out by like a BB gun or something one time and it was all, Jeez. you know, like tempered glass, so the whole thing like turned into a million little pieces. But it was all held together like kind of by the tinting. So yeah. I thought in my in my scientific little kid head that oh it's some sort of protective coating on the outside of the glass yeah, that they yeah. do so that it doesn't uh turn into a bunch of slicey breaking pieces but no it's actually the property of the internal compression of the glass of at the molecular level pulling it on the inside to maintain that compression yeah they like what they make the panes of glass and then cool them with air jets mm-hmm. on the outside so that it then has that compressive force um which is you know i've been around glass <laughs> uh my whole life and never tested it the way that the guy did but it like jumping on glass seems so insane yeah that's um, it's kind of uh it's like it's uh, another like similar property of like concrete uh Compressive strength, excellent. Excellent. You could jump up and down on it. You can stack stuff on top. It works great. In uh, tension, that's where it sucks. <laughs> you can't. If you try to pull that stuff apart, it's just going to pull apart pretty easily. That's why you got to put steel in it in order to keep it from pulling apart. Um, but same thing with glass. Like, very strong in the compressive direction. You can jump up and down on that piece of tempered glass all you want. But... If you pierce it or if you cause a break that causes a tension break between all of those things and it disrupts the compressive element to it, then every single piece shatters into a little million little little bitty bricks. Yeah, I kind of want to go back and watch that Squid Game scene. Yeah. Just to like when they were describing it, because I wonder if uh I wonder what they actually said because I didn't know about glass back then, you know. Um, (laughs) I looked up, though, in cars, at least uh, if you get, like, good windshields and windows and stuff. um, The the thing with tempered glass is that it is very good compressive-wise, but as you're saying, piercing it makes it, the whole thing, shatter. Mm -hmm. Um, But what's great about it, the way that it, forms that compressive uh force it then breaks into like those cubes of glass yeah so that your your you know driver's side window will not slice your your carotid artery (laughs) um and you know good thing uh and it also means that if you have like that's why those little safety things that you should have in your car that can you know cut the seatbelt or whatever that's why it has that little metal tiny point because that's the piercing that you could use to break your window Mm -hmm. it will Um, it will just relieve the compressive the compressive element of the glass and it'll immediately just fall apart yeah which you know so then you can escape you don't Uh, drown in your car (laughs) yes your side windows are made that way the front windshield, you don't want it to break with a tiny rock bouncing. Yeah, out of yeah, a dump no, truck. no, no, no. You want that to be more like a windscreen on a jet. Which <laughs> so I, I guess is. are those like? Um, do they have like a like? I know on like uh, planes, like uh, it's they have these insulated layers of 
of almost like of almost like a rubberized material in between the in between the big thick panes of glass that are on either side of the cockpit type of thing. Yeah, they have it's it's laminated glass, so it has a thin layer of vinyl between the That's two right. layers of okay. glass that it's adhered to, which is also like so it makes it way stronger, uh, but it also makes it where you know if if your windshield does crack, it's not going to shoot every piece of glass mm-hmm. like right into the cab. And it's why um, if you just get a chip from a rock on your car, it'll just slowly spider web. And then if you try to feel it from the inside, you can't feel the crack from the inside of the car when you run your fingers across it on the inside. But if you go on the outside, you feel all the rough edge and from the from the chip and the expanding spiderweb crack. Yes, and uh, you should get that replaced, though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, very dangerous situation, I think. <laughs> like uh, James Franco in Pineapple Express when he tried to... <laughs> kick the windshield out and he just got his foot stuck in the hole. <laughs> yeah. Man, what a great movie. Oh. Um, Whatever happened to that guy, that great guy, James Franco? Uh, I think he went the way of Virgil, Texas. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you know, sometimes you just... The, the most lucrative thing you can do is to start a class... At NYU, that's about acting, and uh, say that one of the prerequisites for the ca- for the class is that this is going to be about romance acting, and then uh, all the students have to get naked. It's what roles of romantic acting did he have to like say that he was uh, an authority <laughs> to teach that course? I, you saw him in Spider Man, the first Sp- Tobey Maguire Spider Man. You remember okay, he was, was originally him. with Mary Jane, mm-hmm. you know, so he knows. Okay. Well, I think he was recently cast in a movie, though, so he's not blackballed. Oh, you mean cancel culture doesn't exist? <laughs> exactly. Um, <laughs> despite what your morning drive time radio will tell you. Oh, man. Only for them, though. Yeah. <laughs> um. Who am I kidding? I don't I don't drive anywhere in the morning or listen to <laughs> any morning radio. Um I just I can feel it, you know. <laughs> You're listening to the the local sports radio that's always talking about the Angels and the the impending sale and are we going to have to are we going to have to trade Shohei? And uh, is is the new owner going to want to absorb all these contracts? Should we just empty house to make it a better deal for Artie to sell the team? And you're all worried about losing Mike Trout and Shohei to all the other teams in the league. No, actually, I listen to the real Kiss FM, not that knockoff station you have in Dallas. Um, I don't the, know if that's right. I don't know if that's right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I listened to the one with uh who's who's the guy that hosted uh American Idol that does the radio show? Uh Ryan Seacrest. Ryan Seacrest, yeah. I think he does that. But doesn't he what's the thing with radio? You have to live in close to the area that you do the show. Do you? Because he I think there's some regulation that way. Cause like well, I mean you could be syndicated all over the country. You could be syndicated, but 
I think for it to be like the call letters or whatever, like oh to oh to use the local the radio. Station. Okay, okay, okay. Like you cannot live in Los Angeles and do Dallas radio, um, despite how easy I make that look. Uh, <laughs> but I think Ryan Seacrest, because he does the show in New York too, like the Good Morning show, he flies every day. Well, yeah. For those. Yeah, man. Yeah. You don't have, he can just live in New York and do the TV no, show. It's, and then it's worth it. It's worth, but it's worth all of it. He's got to have all the gigs. How good is the radio? He's got to have all the gigs. Well, I don't know if he's got all the gigs anymore because it seemed like for a while he had all the gigs. You know, like he had the red carpet award show gig. He had talking to every celebrity on his podcast gig. He had American Idol. He had the the morning show. He had all of it. I don't know if he's doing all of it as much anymore. Is American Idol still a thing? Uh, I think so. I'd Gotta ask Tony. Yeah, I think it is, but I think it might have it might be an ABC property now instead of a Fox property. I don't know. Does that mean they changed anything? I mean, I'm I'm old enough to have uh tried out for American Idol season two. So You tried out for American Idol? Yeah. This is great news. Yeah. What song did you sing? I sang uh California by Phantom Planet, but we went to the trials were in Austin and um, we went down there and camped out um, and it was in I'm trying to remember if it was like it was either like December is either December, January or February. I can't remember now. It was, it was cold. We all had to sleep outside in a giant line. And course, um, very good for your vocal. Very course. great. And <laughs> about 3 a.m., the sprinklers in the median of the parking lot that we were all Jeez. sleeping in turned on and got everyone wet and all of our sleep, sleeping bags and everything soaked. So that sucked. That was that was really that was that was awful. But Nikki and I stood in line and um, my mom and sister were also there, too. But then Jessica was really concerned about her vocals with the, you know, because she was trying out my sister. Um, mm-hmm. and so they went and stayed in a hotel and used us to hold their place in line, which we did. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we all tried out, um, got past, you all tried out, uh, Nikki, me and my sister, Jessica, we all tried out, um, wow. got to the past, like the entry level stuff to where you're in like the room with, I don't know, the hundred or so people that they, um, small grouped out to actually like uh audition for producers and then from that group they weed you down to the ones that'll go to see the hosts of the show you know that'll be part of the show yeah um i didn't make it past that round because they said i i had too much of a rock and roll voice um my sister did my sister made it all the way to um right before they would let her go on with the uh, with the hosts, but she was only um, fifteen, so they told her to come back like the next year or whatever when she was another year older. But then she didn't try out again. Mm. Man, that's wild. Um, I had to be two thousand one or two thousand two, early two thousand two. Could you have taken? Ruben stuttered. 
Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no problem. No. <laughs> no, it was it was it was interesting too cuz like uh there's definitely the people that are there that the made it through the first junket that were there just to do bits. So you knew that there were like a handful of those people that were going to go through because we needed some bit people for to make the show dynamic more interesting. You know, we need some people that uh, Paula and Simon, you have to cringe about because that's like, you can't just let through all like the medium to high talented people, you know. Um, so it was, it was kind of interesting to see how that whole, like, made-for-TV aspect of the contest worked, like, <laughs> the bit people making it through and, and other people not and getting all sad. <laughs> but, yeah, I'll never forget sleeping was, outside on the street in Austin, Texas. Yeah, that's, can't be fun. Uh, was it, uh, frustrating seeing the bit people? No, like, no, some people like, had, some people serious. had some funny stuff, um, you know, and the flight, and they all had to sleep outside too. Like people who had like costumes, like this one lady had like this um, inflatable or not inflatable. Uh, it was like a bunch of stuffed cats that were. It was kind of like a a jacket, you know, but it was made out of like stuffed animal cats. Okay. <laughs> so yeah, she 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 hung around for a while. She was still in like after we got cut. She was still hanging around in the uh, big convention center hallway as you know because it starts with whatever however many people there and then you're there and there's only a hundred people left and then the slowly like more people get eliminated and you're like okay well maybe i've got a chance because now we're sitting here and it seems like only maybe 30 people standing around um type of thing and then you go in and then you get eliminated and you walk out and by the time you walk out there's only like 20 people left man that's wild rock and roll voice though yeah too much rock and roll. It's not what we're looking for this year. When did they have the bald guy that was the rock and roll that uh, divorced his wife after he got famous? Um, uh, I don't know. He was like a rock and roll guy. I don't know. I don't... Daughtry guy? Is that who you're talking about? Yes. Okay. Yes. That was later. I Yeah. I think that was, uh, the last thing I watched on that show was probably the third season. Okay. Yeah. That was season five. See, you were just a few years early. Yeah. It's too early. It was just, he had the scrappy little 19 year old man. That's rough. Well, you can sing rock music on this podcast anytime. <laughs> Thanks, Eric. I appreciate it. <laughs> <laughs> no problem. All right. Well, that's all I got on glass. Me. As well. Well, good job. And uh, maybe I'll regale you with tales from the Chicago trip that I'm about to leave on this afternoon, oh, yes. next week. Oh, apparently uh, Chris Daughtry did not divorce his wife. Okay. Well, <laughs> you know, you had a 50-50 shot of being yep, right on that one. Uh, sure did. <laughs> <laughs> All right, man. Until next week. Bye.